0: Welcome to episode two of Board Game Triangle, which is our official name now after we couldn't decide on it last episode.
1: we had a violent vote. Gaming Triangle.
0: I thought we were going to add board to it because gaming sounds like it might be for like Overwatch or something.
1: So Board Gaming Triangle.
0: Board Gaming Triangle. Okay.
2: Sure, sure. As you can see, we, we've had this settled right before we got into the, talking
1: about this. We are now professional podcasters. This is two episodes. Mm -hmm.
0: yeah okay gonna i'm gonna say it again and if we want to we can cut it in or we can keep this cluster of a conversation in all right welcome to episode two of the board gaming triangle oh i added a the all right cut that
2: cut that cut that cut that cut
0: that (laughs) welcome to episode two of board gaming triangle where people come to get lost in games
2: Ooh! I just oh. made that tagline up. Oh, that's, that's, oh, awesome. that's so good. Oh, no, we got no, it. Keep that's it, keep it. Keep it, keep it, keep it.
0: All right. If you <laughs> missed episode one, this is just our our friendly chat about board games as three friends who have enjoyed playing board games together for a couple of years. All right. So how we feeling? Episode two, officially podcasters.
2: It feels pretty good, man. I, I feel like we're not allowed to stop now. We've made it no. two episodes in. This, this is it. So we're not gonna be like Netflix, okay, where we just cut cut a show after two seasons, okay? Like we're gonna keep going.
0: It's gonna drag on. Drag
2: I'm gonna on. okay, we're gonna get sued though because of that. So guys, it's been great knowing you. I'm
1: glad we made it this far. You can mention that Netflix cancels things after two seasons. That's fine.
0: It's not slander. It's true.
1: Dr- <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's uh, fair. All right. So Sarah, what are we talking about today?
0: We are going to be talking about intro games. So games that you use to get people into board gaming. What games are good for like introducing your spouse to it, getting a new friend in, have a friend from out of town who sees that you've got a giant, massive pile of board games and he wants to play. Well, where do you start? But before we dive into that whole conversation, we are new to podcasting. So this is people's second episode with us. I wanted to take some time to talk about how, we got into board games individually and then how we kind of got to know each other because I feel like that's good context to have. So, Tim, why don't you get us started?
2: Yeah, I think so. My perspective is kind of interesting because I would and I was actually talking with my wife about this not too long ago. One of the biggest reasons I actually got into board games was because I had a really hard time while I was dating around. I had a really hard time finding people who also shared the interest in video games. It's just that it's a it's a much harder thing to get people into. And so I was like, well, maybe a happy medium is like board games. And they were kind of having a a renaissance or resurgence Mm -hmm. at the time that I really started to get into them. This is when this is around like 2015, 2016, you started to have some of the big names really come out like Scythe, Terraforming Mars. They were really starting to hit the table. and, And that's where. You're, you're looking to spend a video game's amount of money on a board game. Yep. And so that, it, was, it was kind of like, all right, I'm going to take the plunge. The, th- the themes were cool. It was kind of really easy to jump into it. And really what kind of set that off to begin with is Catan. And I think that that's also a fun game to maybe talk about as well. Is I actually don't think Catan will be on any of our lists in terms of starter games, which normally, especially if you'd watch maybe some older videos or podcasts of other people talk about it, that probably would be on their list. But anyway, it was, it was a really, it was my first real flavor of like something other than Monopoly, which is also a pretty common theme of everybody just thinks games are all like flavors of Monopoly, mostly because there's probably 5,000 flavors of Monopoly. That, that doesn't help either. But, I think that's what really got me into it especially the first time that I played Scythe I was like man this world is immersive the 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 uniqueness of getting to kind of move you, can, you can't repeat the same move twice that was super exciting and that just kind of got my gears churning of like what else is out there And the rest is history, especially since it's a lot easier or board games for some reason are just a lot less intimidating, I think, to a lot of other people because they've at least played a board game when they were a kid. And that already is reducing the barrier to entry there significantly. There's just, they're, they're a lot more disarming than this like video game where they're like, oh, I have to be very reactive and high dexterity with this controller, like a board game. And, and as I'm getting older as well, that's another reason why I like board games is there is no dexterity involved. There's a couple of dexterity games, but right. over, overall, <laughs> there it's all about like can you strategize and think about things. There's no there's no limit in terms of there, there's no barrier to entry in terms of just skill with a controller, and I think that that is a very welcoming thing. And yeah, I'm, the rest the rest is history for me.
1: Hmm.
0: That's so interesting because I, I I mean funny side note like I met my husband. And ended up, you know, dating him because I told him I could kick his butt at Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I guess being on the other side of that spectrum, being a, a woman who is kind of semi decent at video games, <laughs> it's, it's not as much of a barrier, but that's really interesting. Very cool. How about you, Ken? How'd you get started in board games?
1: Growing up, did a lot of legacy board games. So definitely played a lot of Monopoly and Risk. I uh, played chess with my dad. My grandmother always really loved card games, so we would rotate which uh, game she was into for two or three years at a time. And so, you know, whatever game she was into at that point, go to my grandmother's house and play that. My parents always been very competitive. My father uh, one time irritated his his father in law by getting four houses on all of his properties or refusing to upgrade because. Once the houses are out, no more houses. You can skip straight to hotels, but you have to have the money for that.
2: This explains so much.
1: Oh yeah! <laughs> and again, playing cards that really upset his mother one time by throwing out a wild card, so that my sister, who was next, could meld everything at once for his blasting. And when you blasted anybody, everybody's cards in their hand were count double against them. So my dad had already melded it. My grandmother had knocked. By, letting, by helping my sister to do so, he took her overall pain that she was winning and made her get a lot of points and allowed him to end up winning the overall match. She was just mad. like, you can't help someone else. Well, he wasn't helping someone else. Uh, he, it helped him to win the match. So yeah, definitely you know, for myself, from a family that grew up with my playing chess and risk my dad and, and all that. But really, there was a big gap at starting you know, probably college until some of the got 10 probably like 2015 or so. Of, of not really playing a lot of board games. I think the first one, I, I think it was a modern board game I played, was, was not Catan or Carcassonne, other things that really kind of created that new initiative. It uh, wasn't any of those guys, kind of, it was Bang that I played. And Down you know, Bang is a, it's a hidden roll game that you have a, a public sheriff, that you have some outlaws are trying to kill him and deputies are trying to protect him. And that was one that I had and would just play. And we would do that on, on a monthly game night we would do. I think mean, the next, next big game I got of a modern game was uh, was Citadels. And those are you know really two of the first two modern-style games that I own, those two. And I know like I always had known people who were really into the magic scene. And with my issue with, with Magic the Gathering has always been that I feel at least half of the entire playing magic is in building the deck. And in building the deck, you really need to know the entire card set that's available. You need to know a, a huge amount, be able to go out, collect buy, or build a deck by uh, by trading or getting things from, uh, from packs, booster packs.
2: Or assuming their player base is a bunch of whales. Yeah. I <laughs> just make a lot of money, man.
1: I played a few times a variant of, of magic where you have a fixed set of cards that you start with and everyone picks from that. And I played that a few times and enjoyed that. And I said, well, yeah, if this is what magic was. I'd like that. And so from that, I had my friends who, who were into that would say, well, if you like this kind of, that kind of, of a style, what you would really love to play would be Dominion. And so I had been told I would like Dominion for probably years before I played it the first time, played it, and then I was like, okay, if I can find people who will play this with me, I have to own Dominion. And I ended up Probably, you know, 2004, 2015, I'd have to look at the year of things, but it actually for my birthday, I in mean, one of those years in there, I uh, I stopped at a game store. I picked up a big box of Dominion, went over my friend's house. Uh, we played five rounds that night for probably the next six months. I resented any time I was playing any game that was not Dominion.
2: I've heard it has that effect on people, like, especially back, especially back then.
1: Yeah.
0: Do we really want to bring that to the table?
2: <laughs> I, I still haven't played it yet. I really, I really want to play it.
1: No, I, I have it, and with a bunch of expansions, and we can definitely do that. So I'll, I'll have to do that sometime. So that was really like for me, once that and had a group of people who would play board games with me, continued. I have now probably sixty-five some games, and they're all very carefully curated and selected. And getting into like you know, for our topic for day, I, I definitely am very careful with, with which are good intro games, which are good games. For people with their various kinds of play styles uh, trying to curate that collection and curate who I pull them out for is, uh, is is a big part of what I what I try to do now as a board gamer.
2: I liked your angle, Ken, of you kind of approached like you bringing up the games that that you played actually reminded me of some other games that helped me get into it. Uh, I had a friend, his name's Camp, and he had a pretty large selection of games that he also really kind of helped snowball me into it because I was yep. originally playing a lot of poker. I actually really I had a few different books on poker.
0: Ah, uh, you seem like a poker guy, Tim.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, poker guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I had, I mean, I've got a really nice set of chips. I, I wish that my container that to to hold them wasn't broken because it's like a huge thirty forty pound set of chips. I like, I just love poker. I love all the strategy involved with it, even though it's it's just about bluffing. But like, it could also be a lot more than that, right? And so that kind of cascaded me uh, from from poker into... He actually had some other board games. Bang was actually one of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, also uh, Stone Age. That was another one that really gave me the first taste of like worker placement. Yep. And so that was another thing that really catapulted me. I was like, okay, there's got to be other stuff like this. I think I had also played Catan a little bit before that. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And also, I always wonder the overlap because I used to be a big magic player as well. I would do Friday night magic. I was building my own deck. I was trying to do it on, on the budget though, Mm -hmm. because I was just a lowly wine server. And also I was in college as well during, uh, during other times. So between the two, just like, I'm not going to spend what is now actually cheap sometimes a $20 for one card. And I need four of them to make a competitive deck. And that's just, and that's just one set of, of uh, creatures that I need. I also need all the stupid fetch lands or you know tap lands whatever like those are now you know 10 to 20 a pop at least your deck is going to be at minimum a few hundred bucks for you to be competitive unless you find some really cheap ass deck that you can maybe maybe pull off some miracles with but
1: cost is one of the big reasons i never got into something like warhammer or other Mm. kind of miniatures gaming because i i love again love complex games love strategy and tactics I, at some point here i just need to buy myself a 3d printer and make my own uh my own miniatures but i i, I love the idea of those kind of things but yeah expense is, is huge on that kind of thing
2: i mean magic is just milking people at this point which is why i got out of it i sold everything i had um i just got tired of it i got tired of getting ripped off So now i get ripped off by big kickstarters instead yep, um yep. but
0: yeah <laughs> you know that's so interesting because i also have a background in magic. <laughs> <laughs> I think something that we didn't do. It know scratches about each the other. same itches.
2: Yeah. It scratches yeah. the same itches for sure. I still have a few of the uh what are they called? Like the dual decks. I kept some of those around just because they were kind of like slightly more catered decks that they were kind of meant to go against each other, so they were maybe slightly more balanced. Um and then right. you could still scratch that magic itch if you wanted to, but at this point, I don't really have the interest anymore. Like the the package that comes in a board game now, like it's just there's there's so much meat to the bone there on that that i don't really need i don't really need the magic part and also magic can be so so volatile in terms Mm -hmm. of how a game plays out like obviously board games that can be the same as well if it's not a it's not carefully crafted but even still like it just feels magic can be very swingy and there are definitely strategic plays but i think in some ways it kind of pilots itself in many ways especially when the deck is fairly refined obviously that can be less true depending on the t- type of deck you build but anyways i guess we kind of sidetrack ourselves with just uh like what what we like about board games i guess
1: there are uh... a how, how did you get into board games to the extent to which you, you consider yourself part of them at this point?
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny that we got on this Magic the Gathering kind of side track because I didn't really consider that in my journey with board games, but I guess it does kind of fit into that. Now, I will like add an asterisk to my Magic the Gathering involvement in that it was more a parlor trick that I was in the eighth grade and I was a girl who could play Magic.
2: Oh, man, that gives you all the boys will love you then, man. Absolutely. I was never
0: good, but I could play it. And that was all that mattered. That is good
2: enough. 100%. Oh, yeah. And I
0: could build a deck for free because people would just give me things. Yep. But that is something that like, I try not to lean into too much now because I know that it very much irritates people. Um, <laughs> when I could see m-
2: Morgan would never let you.
0: Morgan hates yeah. when people do things like that. So it's specifically... I do not play those cards. But again, I mentioned Mm -hmm. this in the last episode. I have a a history of doing that because I met my husband playing into how much I could play a video game better than he could. And it turns out I could not. I was very much (laughs) very below his skill level. But no, so like board games, like Ken, you sound like you have a really strong family history of board games? Look at me oh, yeah. talking like a pharmacist. Uh, family history of board games. Yeah, family. Uh, <laughs> my, my family had like a we had like a board game night maybe once a week when I was in middle school, high school. We would play Trivial Pursuit, and it's like ingrained in my like core memories. My mom playing Trivial Pursuit, screaming at the top of her lungs, "Give me that piece of chocolate!" like just (laughs) some good times with that but really Mm. what got me into board games like at a as an adult I had a group of friends in college who were actually a lot mostly friends from high school that we went to the same college and we would play this game probably twice a month called talisman and Mm. it would take us a solid weekend of playing And now I know. So, like, literally my friend bought this game at a garage sale. It was a mix match of, like, two different boards and, like, random pieces. Old as, I mean, old as the hills this game was. And we played the crap out of it. We never played anything else. Only ever Talisman.
2: I'm going to wonder to this day, did it have all the pieces?
0: I don't I don't know to this day because I haven't I haven't ever you, played. Have to com-
2: you have to compare it to my slash your copy of it.
0: You do not understand how different they are because that copy is like later editions and like Oh, that's pieces. true. That's true. These that's were true. like cards that sat in little card holders, like Is
1: this is this the nineteen eighty three uh edition? Yes. Like the, the the original wow. Oh,
0: the OG. You, who still I mean, has it? So we actually when uh people started graduating when you graduated, you would get like a signed piece of the board.
2: So like all of that is adorable. That that's way too wholesome for this podcast.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that was it. (laughs) And then fast forward a few years. So I'm doing pharmacy residency and one of my co-residents, Alicia has us over for a board game night or she, she maybe she was telling me that you did board games, Tim or something, and I was like, oh, I know how to play board games. I play intense board games. I play, like, full weekend Is it, Is this games. the
2: Mario equivalent of, like... I,
0: but at this point, I really <laughs> did. <laughs> I yeah. really did think that I was a, a serious gamer, because I would get drunk with my friends and play Talisman for all weekend. Like, I mean, we, that
2: does, does make you more intense than most. It definitely I mean, does.
0: So I, I was fully overconfident, and I found out Later that talisman is not considered a very good game by modern standards I mean uh, good
2: though doesn't really matter. The fact that right. you still played a board game at all like I mean we're not we're not here to you know uh, we're not here to cordon off what is allowed to be played and what is not yep. or whether it's good quote good or not. It's about what you have fun with
1: I think I mean and that's one of the things that I think in all of our stories I mean. When we're talking about about the modern board gaming movement, we're definitely, I don't think any of us trying to gatekeep any of that. Like, you know, if you love playing Talisman or Monopoly or Risk, I will still play Risk with anybody who wants to play Risk, because I know that at this point, there are very few people willing to play that game. And people who love it do love it. And I am happy to play it with them. I do think that there's been a, just to mention earlier, a huge renaissance of, of new games that took a lot of the lessons and things that made games not fun for a lot of people in 70s, 80s, and 90s and really sand off some of those rough edges to make it easier for a wider group. That's for today's uh, topic and intro games. But if you have a group and you're enjoying playing something that you guys have been playing for 20, 30 years or if you just got introduced to Talisman 1983 edition yesterday and had fun getting drunk and playing with your friends, do that. Like That's no gatekeeping from us for sure.
0: And we, the same group of friends, has been planning a mountain trip where all we would do is play talisman for many years now, and one day we're going to do it. Absolutely. Probably this the weekend that you guys plan this beach trip that we talked about <laughs> last time. Uh, so, along those lines, so let's talk in general terms. What are we looking for when we're thinking about an intro game? What do you guys, like, what are the themes and concepts that you think about for that
2: i think the bare minimum someone needs a new player needs to look at look at that and go i want to play that that looks cool it doesn't nothing else matters
1: we'll talk more about how much you like a game it's easy to teach about a game that has good mechanics but engagement is absolutely everything with a person who doesn't regularly play games because if i plot a game and it has foam guns and they're like oh wow i want to play that we're playing Cash and Guns. Is that a game I normally would say is the ideal first-time gamer? It's not on my list of things to do here, but if the prop sells someone on it, that's what we're doing. If you look at the art of Wingspan, and also not on my list of favorite intro games, you look at the art of that, and that pulls you in. You love the birds. You love the facts. We're playing Wingspan. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, baby. If you are a beginning gamer yourself listening to this, and there's something you want to play, you want to play Twilight Imperium, not necessarily something I would recommend, but if that's something that really pulls your imagination find people they'll they'll teach you and you can tim did have uh basically first-time board gamers uh, learning and playing twilight imperium and they had fun
2: yeah it's very important that you play with the right group of people so maybe that's number two yep uh you need to be with people who are understanding and receptive of your newness and yep. they know how to help you have fun which I i know that sounds weird but you, you kind of do have to help them kind of navigate this new space and kind of show them how it can be fun and make sure you're in an environment. I mean, we don't struggle with this as a group. We are very good about not taking it seriously. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we all want to win, but we would never sacrifice someone else's enjoyment for the sake
1: of that. How do we provide that welcoming kind of an environment? What do we do to try to make you feel comfortable with that?
2: Biggest thing for me is I do not even focus on what my turn is. Yeah. I I'm just like, eh, fuck it. I'll figure it out later. Yep. You know, just just focus on them. Focus on them having a good time, helping them make good turns, explain why that is a good move. Or if they just don't care, you could just be like, do this, it's good. Yep. And as long as they're having fun, whatever. Like it it doesn't matter. You can't tell them or if they want to make the wrong move, you could be like, here's why it's bad, but here's the way that it still could be good. You know, like never never paint anything always in a negative light because even with bad moves, there's still potential positives. And I think you just mm-hmm. focus on what makes that move good. Like, encourage somebody when they are making a move that even is suboptimal, you can explain how it is optimal in some ways. Yeah. yeah. Just way they feel like, oh, I did something. I I understood this, and I made a good play. Or... Or if you explain to them why it's not a good play, they'd be like, oh yeah, I was thinking that too. It's all about just how nice you are about it and not making them feel like an idiot, especially in a space that is very intimidating, especially if somebody is jumping into a game that like thematically it caught them, but you're like, not sure if you're ready for it, but you are excited about it. And that is like, hell, when I look at board games, I go, what excites me? I look at a theme and go, damn, that's spicy. I like that. Yeah. Like there, there are... That still affects me, even as a fairly veteran board gamer. I want to have a theme that I look at it on the table and I go, this is cool. I don't care if you yeah. like board games or not. This is cool.
0: I mean, and I think one of the things that you guys are talking about that I that you both do really well, as someone who has been taught a bajillion board games by either of you.
2: You're a hero. Uh, is, you're a hero. <laughs> you're tolerating you tolerating you
0: it. You guys really... You take the time to go through the rules, but you tailor it to the attention span of the person you're yes. teaching. You tailor it to the style of teaching that they like. You know, if it's if it's my husband and he wants to be, like, in the game, like, like messing with all the stuff and, like, looking through all the cards and seeing everything, you're cool with that. You go with that. You know, if it's somebody like me, I have to, like, really, you could explain every rule to me and I will be singing a song in my head, like I get knocked down, down." like not paying attention at all. But once we get into like playing it, I, I get it. I might lose the first game because I didn't listen to the rules, but you, you, you basically explain it as we go. So I think being adaptive with your teaching style too, you know, if someone is obviously not listening, not getting it, you can send them every YouTube video in the world to teach them how to do it. But if they're a person like me that like learns by doing, they're Mm -hmm. not going to learn it quickly. So adapting your teaching style. And I think both of you do that really brilliantly.
1: Generally for for what makes a good intro game and things that have bright colors, nice art, I would say generally, unless someone has really expressed an interest in a a more complex game, things that are easier is more straightforward to teach. And I do think having a, a significant element of luck involved, also really helps because levels the playing field for sure it loves the playing field it also allows a player to blame any mistakes that happen on oh well maybe i was doing great and i just rolled badly and it's like no you made a bunch of bad decisions to get there but (laughs) sure we can we can pretend it was just a bad die roll um Uh,
2: yeah you can really dull that knife for them you know (laughs) so only cuts them a little bit when you when you tell them yeah
0: Yeah. so i mean where do we stand on Competitive versus non-competitive. Where does that fall on your list of criteria Ooh. for a, a a starter game?
2: That's challenging because if you think about it, most people come at board games from a competitive standpoint. Like that's right. the only thing they've ever played, right? Unless you're right. playing. Well, I guess it's lighter and looser if you're playing things like Pictionary or something like that. But I, I doubt a lot of people. And you know. At the, at...
0: Oh no! I think you're still com- super competitive with Pictionary. Yeah,
2: <laughs> sure. Before, but, yeah. So competitive is. is is the de facto standard, right? Mm-hmm. Like every everybody assumes things are from an angle of, of competitive, which is also why cooperative can be so cool to introduce to people because they're like, wait, yeah. we're working together? And you're like, hell yeah.
1: Yep. Really good for people who... Have bounced off of games before by playing uh, playing Monopoly and having their family start screaming at each other and had a really bad experience. You could say we're gonna play a game here that everyone just does their own thing and doesn't have to worry so much about whatever people are doing. We're gonna play a game here that's collaborative and and it's all fine. Like I said, even even games that are, are susceptible to, to coaching or quarterbacking, some casual players are, are happy with that. Like I mentioned, I think in the last podcast that they can come sometimes just feel like working on a puzzle together. I don't tend to do it, but people do just get together with friends to put puzzles together on a table and they'll go spend three, four hours working on a a puzzle together. And that's what my, my circle of friends are wanting to do. Yeah. We pull out a, we pull out a collaborative game and, and we can do that. I also like, again, it comes down to no players. If they, if people are wanting to have a competition and wanting to have that, that edge, which if you're suggesting a board game and people are like, yeah, let's play a board game. That's often what they're expecting. I don't think there's any problem of of pulling out a, a highly competitive game for, for newbie players.
0: Yeah, I think it's like a a two way street, right? So competitive can keep you interested, it can keep you invested if you're that kind of competitive person. Mm -hmm. But co op or something that's less competitive, could be a softer, like if you lose, you don't feel quite so bad about it, you're not like burned from it, and you're not going to want to be playing board games anymore.
1: I think it's really important to be demonstrating, you know, a good, you know, good ways to be winning and losing and making sure that if you're, if you're hosting, obviously as a host, you want to make sure that, you know, if you win, that you do so graciously, but, but whoever hasn't winning is making sure that, you know, you're not letting people, people bully each other over bad moves or people really, you know, even celebrate a win in a way that it that makes other members of the table not want to play a game again. So yeah, like congratulating your win, like, you know, I also be congratulating people on thoughts and things that they had. Uh, be asking about, about themes and, and ideas and be able to, to have that. I don't typically when playing with anybody just intentionally play badly to, to let people lose. But like like Tim was saying earlier, I think it can be helpful, especially if you're teaching a game or playing with a catch of people to maybe you know, maybe not have as much focus on planning your strategy and game, you know, force yourself to have do a little bit more of like, okay, I'm just going to like last minute, take a look at the game and make a decision. I, I kind of think of like a, the chess master uh, walking around and doing a move at each table, kind of a thing uh, in, in a room of, of people wanting, wanting to play where the players against him are spending their entire time playing their move. And he just looks at it and makes a move. And those are things that you can do to still make the game tactically interesting and fun for you but also spending other people's turns uh, giving them guidance and encouragement and uh, really trying to measure whether people seem like they're engaged and understanding it or are confused and bored.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a really great point, especially with like you don't ever want to intentionally let someone win, but you're also not going to bring Twilight Imperium level strategy to a, a game with a first time person playing like, I don't know, Quacks of Quinlanburg, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I I definitely think that that's a good point. All right, so how about we start talking about our favorite intro board games, just generally, things that uh, things that you like to bring out when someone's new to the table.
1: Yeah, I'd say one of my favorite just all-around games for, for design and playability at this point is, is definitely Codenames. What I love about Codenames is it's a game that really only two players in the in the group really even need to know how to play the game and the other players can even like rotate in and out people can get bored and leave and it doesn't destroy things as long as you have at least like four people playing at any given time uh, according to the game where uh, you have a spy master that gives a one word hint and a number of cards uh, in the grid of words that match to that hint and their team members have to then figure out which, which card match so based on that that was that was the teach right there like if if you're playing the game all i say is i'm going to give you a word and a number and you're going you and your teammates are going to pick the cards you think match picking the wrong cards can be bad picking the right cards is good you know the game it is a very easy teach it's a game that i like even even just relationally kind of engagement cuz it really focuses on being a game where you as a as a spy master need to understand and think about what kinds of word associations will your players make on your team. You know, people can dip in and out. Uh, Literally, the copy that I have, ordered it uh, during a party from uh, Amazon Prime Now. It came in two hours, and we played the game uh, that night. Like, Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Like, it it has no learning time. After playing one or two games, people typically start whining. Oh, like, well, can I be a spy master? Like, yeah, like a few more rules you need to learn and, and things to be able to figure this out. But again, fairly straightforward. Uh, it's a very hard job as a spy master because you're having to couple with those word associations. But as a, as a party game and as an intro game, I think there's there's few things that touch uh, touch what codenames can do. I
0: think related to that, one that I love that I have seen come out after a Thanksgiving dinner when everyone is tipsy and no one really plays board games except like a couple people at the table, Mysterium. It's very similar in that really only one person has to hardcore know the rules other than, okay, I'm gonna, so if if y'all have never played Mysterium before out there, like, basically one person is a ghost, and they've been murdered, and the people at the table are the clerics that are supposed to be not clerics that's not the word psychics
2: psychic clairvoyance clairvoyance yeah uh, that's know. the word
0: the clairvoyants at the table that are trying to figure out who murdered the ghost but the ghost can only communicate via visions which are these beautifully done cards that make no sense and they have to move through stages of figuring out like who did it where did they do it what was their murder weapon all through hints that are given by the ghost so i've seen that played where people were almost almost too drunk to understand even that level of rules and it ends up being really fun Mm -hmm. i mean you can get people that are super into really playing up into the fact that they're a psychic and becoming miss cleo you've got people who are (laughs) oh
2: miss cleo man that's a flashback
0: So you've got like a you could have a role playing element to it if you want if people are into that or you can just play it straight up. It's kind of cooperative in that you're all trying to solve this murder. So it's not like super competitive, but there is an element of you're doing your own thing. So like if I'm ahead of you in the game, ha ha ha! Look at me, I'm closer to solving it than you. So I think that's another really good one.
2: And everybody still gets to work together, which is cool because. Like, unless all of you get across the finish line to getting the final guess, none of you do. So yeah. you're, you are incentivized to help people. And it also is kind of a cool avenue that if you want to get advanced with it, and I use the word advanced lightly, but um, <laughs> like if, if you want to game the system where you have people intentionally guess that you think that your allies guesses are wrong and you intentionally put the wrong guess chips down so you can go higher up on the, on the more clues track. I I forget the actual name of it, but you can kind of teach a little bit of gaminess there, which is kind of, kind of neat. So yeah. you can kind of introduce, you know, thinking about things on like a higher level there. the
1: um, so. thing I do like with it too is that because the person who knows the most about the game is not allowed to talk, it definitely uh, helps with someone like myself who has a tendency to sit there and keep trying to overexplain things to people because once I've <laughs> explained the rules, I'm no longer allowed to talk to the table. And so they will struggle and try to figure things out. And I just shrug and say, yep, oh, uh, not all talk. Kind of forces people to figure things out on their own and uh I think like like with code names, uh, afterward you can end up uh, you say, there, Why didn't you understand my clues? But um yeah. it you know, in, in both cases, you know, because the the hint giver is not able is not it's not supposed to be communicating things, it can even help with uh, with things like things like with, with pictionary and other things where where afterward the person is yelling at their team for not having gotten stuff. But by the time you get around to that in code names Mysterium, whatever it was is is long past and
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there there's a cool relational, like the relational aspect of it is cool mm-hmm. too, but it's almost like apples to apples where like you're the person that's giving clues probably has a certain way of thinking about how they're giving the clues. And like, you can see how people are interpreting things, you know, like it's not, I just like that aspect of it too. You can kind of see how the people around you are thinking about things. Oh, are definitely. they thinking about things or are they?
2: <laughs> are they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or are they are they thinking about uh, living La Vida Loca in their head? You know.
0: Yeah, you know they're they're singing Chumbawamba. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's a good thing to get stuck in your head.
1: What do you bring to a table, Tim, for new players? Man,
2: I I have a few different uh, different things in mind. So kind of diving into more the cooperative side of things. So usually the first jump is Pandemic, mostly because it's so. It's so ubiquitous in the board game world, but mm-hmm. I would say that that's probably not my first choice anymore. I think there's been like, it is still worth playing in its own right because yep. it, it kind of fits in that realm of Catan. I think, I think there's yep. a few games that in the past would have belonged on this list, but I think over time there's just better games out there. Uh, and I think paleo is probably my favorite. <sighs> like I know, right. See, I love
0: paleo. It's great.
2: And I even love more advanced co-op games and I still love Paleo because thematically it is cool and it does a really good job of... Uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll rewind here for a second and talk about what Paleo is. It pretty much is self-explanatory by the name, but basically you are a bunch of cavemen trying to survive and there's just different scenarios that it'll put you through and you basically build this deck of events that you'll go through together. And everybody gets to basically pilot their own cave people and you just... The your your dying wish before you basically all of you die is to try to get this painting of a mastodon on the wall like that that's the that's the whole point and
0: just making a cave painting making
2: a cave painting and thematically there right there it's great like especially when you're making that final stretch to the end we're like we have to get the butt painted hmm. otherwise they'll never know mastodons had asses like it's <laughs> it's just. It's just so ridiculous and so great.
1: You're all, you're sitting there. I mean, you're getting it before your tribe gets wiped out. So you're sitting there and you're, you can see all of the disasters that have, have risen. Yep. <laughs> you like, yes, we're all about to get wiped out. And our priority is is finishing this painting. And-
2: Look, I know we're out of chicken, but this is important. Okay?
1: All I right. Can- we don't
0: have enough firewood to last the night. People are going <laughs> to die, but we're going to finish this so painting. So
2: hurry and finish this painting. So yeah. thematically, that's great, but- it also does, because of the, the way that the decks are built and you can combine scenarios, it really also, each scenario li- really elicits its own thing. Like one is like, you know, a, si- a snowstorm that you guys have to survive and just, they do such a good job of it. And the coolest part is there's this stack of events and you just evenly distribute them amongst everybody. And so everyone gets excited when they're like revealing in their deck. You have to pick, you basically reveal the top three cards of the deck and then you're going to pick which one you want to flip over and see what it is. And there's hints on the front of the card what it is, but you're not hundred percent sure. So everybody fans them out amongst each other and everybody then gets to look at, Oh, but you have this. And then, so everybody's involved. Everybody's active in looking at it. Yeah. And, everybody gets excited about when they flip something over, they want to share it with everybody else. And that excitement alone of just like you being excited of what you have and you know, everybody trying to figure out who's going to help who it does a better job. I think than pandemic where honestly, like if one person knows how to play, it is nearly impossible not to quarterback the whole game. It just is.
0: You can do a little quarterbacking in paleo yeah. you can,
2: but, but it's
0: not you're it, not likely going to run the whole game. Yeah,
2: I think it I think it still leaves room for people to provide their own thoughts, whereas like pandemic is pretty much mapped out for the most part, I think, especially if you played it a lot. So
1: how do you handle difficulty selection in paleo with uh, with a mixed groups? it doesn't definitely has a lot of scaling difficulty. You and I like playing it at a very high difficulty level. Would you would you recommend generally pulling it out of high difficulty with, with intro players? Um, is it still fun for you as a as a person who's played it at a very high level, teaching it to new players at, at an easy level?
2: I think so. I think I still have fun with those scenarios because I get to enjoy their reactions to it. Mm-hmm. And I think you can also still get away with slightly harder scenarios. Okay. I think the only thing there is you might have to kind of explain the metagame a little bit of like, okay, like it's okay to just say you're not going to be able to pay like... So there's like a day and night cycle in the game. The day cycle is you going through the deck of cards. And then eventually once everyone goes through their deck, there's like an upkeep cycle at night, basically where you have to feed all your people. And then there's other things where just like, you have to burn a bunch of firewood for the night. Otherwise you'll, you know, you'll take uh your, you only have five skulls that you're allowed to get. And you have to take a skull. If you decide not to burn fire for the night and you have to kind of tell the group, Nope, it's okay. Like, the long-term strategy is we just take the skulls now and we'll be okay. You know, we can use that wood for other things, which also thematically can be kind of fun too. Cause it's like how you would maybe really manage resources, you know, and, and those sorts of situations. So it's, it's one of those things to where you can at least kind of explain why you need to do this. You know, like if, yeah. if there is that kind of like that metagame level, you can be like, mm-hmm. well, we need the wood for spears, you know, we're going to be cold tonight because we need to, we need to stab some boars. Okay. Like that's,
1: that's just someone is going to die tonight because right. we need to stab that boar because what's important is not that person dying but getting that painting on the wall that's, that's <laughs> yeah. right that's right
0: i mean i think that the, the like you said the theme is so strong that it just like brings to your imagination all of these like crazy scenarios and fun things like yeah it keeps people really engaged and like you said engagement is huge when you're talking about someone who's new to board games
2: and everything's not played out either because i mean even if you know the cards pretty well because you played through the scenarios that's probably the only downside is there is a Mm -hmm. finite amount of scenarios but every card you're just like especially when they're new cards and you don't know what they are there's so much excitement about when you flip that over what is it going to be like especially you know is it going to be a wolf is it going to be some random wanderer who just wants to rob you like Hmm. it could be anything and it's just, it's always exciting. Uh, every new scenario brings so much hype to it. So I, I think that's probably what I like about it. It's not like you're teaching these rules and then you're just going through the game. Every time you like reveal a new card, there's something to be excited or terrified about. So uh, it's a big one for me.
1: My next one is, again, sticking with my very simple rule sets. And... Oh,
2: Paleo is easy to teach too.
1: You know, like, like Sarah was saying, I've I've also taught people who who were intoxicated to play uh, Mysterium. But the game I have most commonly taught to people who are drunk is uh, is Skull.
0: Oh, uh, such a good one! Mm-hmm.
1: Skull is is a game that you get handed a, a hand of four cards, three with flowers on it, one with a skull. Cards, they're coasters.
2: Okay, let's they're be coasters. real. They coasters. are
1: coasters. Because they are coasters, you can straight up play this game just at a bar with a stack of coasters. You stick a little dot on one of them. That's your skull. And the others are just f- your flowers.
0: Hey, now. Copyright infringement. <laughs> We're going to get sued again this episode.
1: I, I do think that, I mean, it's a game that I think even does, you know, it's harkened from just a bar game kind of a thing. But once you, when you play it, you either play a, on your turn, you play a flower or a skull. When it gets back around to the first player, they can either play a second card slash coaster or... Or they can uh, they can true. make a bid, and if they bid, they're bidding how many coasters they can flip without seeing a skull. And so it's possible that everyone plays a skull their first time. Correct bid at that point would be zero because if you flip anything, you're not you're going to see a skull. If you know yours is, is a flower, you can bid one, and you win your bid. And everyone else who played a skull is just you know SOL. It's a game that can be very fast if you get to win two bids and and complete them. You've won. Two points wins the game. If you don't complete your bid, you lose one of your cards, you can be eliminated. And I, I've actually seen a couple of different games uh, end because every player but one was eliminated because they made bad bets and couldn't fulfill them. But it's a game that ends up being entirely about reading your opponents, bluffing, making guesses. So mention I, I teach this to people who are drunk. Uh, what happens if the person who played the card doesn't know? Well, at that point, you have randomness added into the game. You're sitting there going, okay, um, I know this person um, didn't look at their cards before they played it. There's a one to four chance that's a skull. Okay, well, do I want to bet based on assuming that that's not a skull? Or you're playing with someone who has themselves forgotten what they put down because they are too drunk. And again, you're sitting there. You you watch carefully as people are putting things down. And as they're selecting to try to guess what they're what they're thinking when they do it. Or you just you know kind of play luck based and, and do it that way. So it, it takes a lot of the, the the joy of a of a poker game or or other bluffing kind of games and, and boils it down to. Some, some of the smallest rule sets you can get i've taught this game you know probably six or eight times at brewing companies i've taught it at, at parties it's a game that I'll, I'll pull out between other games so i'm at a, a board game activity because they, they can be pretty quick but always is a game that only really has some evocative ideas the artwork on them is is is, is beautiful
0: oh they are gorgeous yeah they're well done
1: was. they're well done it's definitely a game that like my pitch on playing it is typically to just pull out the coasters and start fiddling with them in my hands until somebody asks, what's that? And then, I'm like, oh, this is a game that we can play. Because, again, I'm typically pitching this to people who do not play games, don't necessarily want to play a game. They just came to the <laughs> bar to get drunk. And eventually, uh, if I get two or three people playing it, then the whole table wants to play. And I've got, uh, I've got people who now play a board game that they did not, did not know they wanted to play that night.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about a specific case let's say that you are someone who is really into board games and your spouse is not at all Mm. are there any games that you would pitch for a spouse like bringing someone in either a two-player game or like say they're just you're, you're trying to convince them to join you for a board game group that doesn't normally involve them
1: sarah this wasn't in the script <laughs> um changing up the agenda. Yeah. I
0: mean, okay, so I have one in mind while well, you guys think.
1: And answer for that one as well, but you can go ahead and do yours and I'll and I'll do mine. I mean, me too. Me too. We're
2: good. We're
0: okay, good. Okay. So let's let's say that your spouse is really into rom coms. That kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> you guys know where I'm going with this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bog of love oh, where yeah. you are playing against another person or you're playing with another person mm-hmm. and you each have your own objectives. And your I'm torn on whether it's with or
2: against them at this point. Well, I, I don't it's, know.
1: It's tricky.
0: It could be either. I yeah, think.
1: that's true. So Fog of Love was a game that was designed by someone who was actually designed for a specific use case. He designed the game as something to play with his wife, who did not want to play games. And it's a deeply psychological kind of a thing. I would say for this use case, it's a game I have had a huge trouble getting to tables because it is somewhat complicated to learn. And I would say specifically with the use case you mentioned of with a romantic partner, it is tricky because... It is simulating a romance, but you can (laughs) very much end up with goals that are not for the good of the virtual partner in the romance. And so I've definitely seen uh, it be an issue when my character's goal may be to have full control of the relationship and make it impossible for the other person to leave. And they're playing, (laughs) Oh, I want us to both have a happily ever after ending. And so you end up playing, I don't know, playing your game to just be a domineering abusive person (laughs) and they're mad at the end because they were playing to have a sweet happily ever after ending and you quote unquote won the game by being an absolute jerk so
0: oh that's good that's a good point i i see that point
1: it is a fun game for non-gamers i think you want to be careful with that one with a romantic partner
0: (laughs) uh I could see where that's coming. You from. could have, you could
2: have some meta relationship go on there, where it just yep. <laughs> this really <laughs> We're wasn't about the, doing this. <laughs> this really wasn't about the coasters, was it?
0: Uh, okay, <laughs> but, okay.
2: No, no, but it is fun. It's fun for that. Like if you have a pretty healthy relationship, it could actually make it even funnier. Then yes, um,
0: and there are like cool little scenarios. Like there's the typical scenario, but then they've got like weird ones. I can't mm-hmm. remember what they are, but they're like. Funky ones
2: Man, that, that makes me want to play it. No, I haven't played yep. it in a while, um, even though I've got a copy of it. But
1: definitely recommend Aftercare for your partner if you uh, if you play a game. Of- <laughs> Aftercare. <that> is- <laughs> I care about your mother, and I would in no way use that against you as a weapon, like I just did in this game.
0: Like I'm pretty sure one time we were playing, and w- one of my actions that I could choose was like, like basically leak their their sex or something, like. You can do some pretty, yeah, it can get pretty spicy. So I can see how that could go wrong.
2: I can see it inspiring a lot of conversations after. Maybe for better or for worse for your relationship. So special asterisk on that one.
1: Definitely a conversation starter. Oh, it is. It is. (laughs) It's
2: certainly, and I mean, let's be clear. It's very unique. Like if yes. people want something that like they've never seen before, oh that like it's just a giant role playing game with some rules on the side, you know. I mean it's yep. it's yeah. pre- it's pretty cool. Like it's it's if D and D was like a rom com, that's really yep. what yeah. it is, you know. Yep. And I mean yeah. it
0: can be kind of so. I, the last time I played it was actually with Ken while we had both showed up late to one of your board game nights and you guys were already playing your game, so we split off and played this game and people ended up really interested in what was going on with us. Yep. Because it, was it, getting, was, it was getting spicy. It was entertaining. I, again, the leaked sex tape. <laughs> 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 Lots of good conversation.
2: So overall, I mean, I was actually reflecting on some two-player ones in terms of what, what makes a good, a good intro game. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of surprised at what I landed on. It was Lost Cities. So Lost Cities, the, the reason why I think it is such a good intro game is because it's so similar to almost any other card game that you've probably played. Mm-hmm. But uh, like it's got typical hand management of you can only hold so many cards at once. You draw one, replace it, discard the other. But it requires you to play them in a very specific order. So I, I can't remember, but there's like five or six colors. And then you have, you have five rows in front of you for every color. Your opponent has the same. There's a deck of each card. I forget what it's like number two, but I think it's one through 15, I believe. Oh wait, or maybe one through 10, I think. Um, I don't remember. But basically there are, each, each color has this one, one through 10. And then you also have these three, three anti-cards basically that you can play. And it is basically going to multiply every card that you've put out by a certain amount. But you have to play the anti-cards first. And so it's just this typical typical hand management game, but you always have to think about like when you're going to put those anti-cards out because then you can only ever go in increasing order as you put cards out. And as soon as you put any color out at all, so you can elect to not put a color out at all if you want, and then it won't count against you. But as soon as you put one card out, you now have negative 20 points for that color until you basically get past that 20 mark. And so... You have to decide if you're going to play the color at all. And then you have to think about, like, based on the cards that your opponent has put out, you know what else is left out there. And it just, it's hand management from just you doing your typical, like, imagine solitaire, for example, where you just got to put all the cards in order. Like, it has a solitaire feel. So you know these rules to a large extent, but it just adds that little twist to where you're now thinking about, like, oh God, like, as soon as I put a color out, am I just going to get negative points from this at the end of the game? Or can I eke out at least even or with big amounts of points because each anti card you put multiplies it by another uh another plus one so if you have three anti cards you now multiply whatever your score is times four for that column so it's it's so simple to teach you can teach it extremely quickly one minute teach and everybody's going to have familiarity with it because it's a card game but there's still so much strategy in terms of just waiting out like building your hand up of like am I going to play this anti card I want to see if my opponent is going to put a color out of that color yeah it's super simple and it's it's got enough meat on it that Alicia and I like playing it like it's it's it doesn't feel like a really boring card like I couldn't play Uno I would go crazy playing Uno it's so boring
0: I've tried playing Uno recently and yeah, it's not the best.
2: But this works, man. It's it's just it's got just the right amount of rules and all the complexity is about how you manage it. So uh, that's uh, that's probably one of my favorite two players.
1: I feel like there's a right answer to this question, and, and it's the one I'm going to give. Oh, and that is that patchwork is all right, all absolutely right. a phenomenal game to play as a as a two player game with a person who is not super into gaming. I think it's it's a great game to play with a significant other. Patchwork is a game where you spread out pieces around a, a center board. And as you, as you move around the, the board, you, you get to pick pieces to add to your personal uh, a player board. And it, it's a matter of, of fitting those shapes into that board. Uh, you get points at the end of the game based on how many spaces you've covered. You, it's, it's very much a puzzle kind of thing. There's in there in, in different kind of like Tetrisy shape. Kind of pieces that you are, are trying to work in, and it really uh, it's it's a game that is really great for anybody who's who's very visual or pattern recognition kind of a, kind of a player. I've taught people the game who have much better visual acuity than I do who beat me on the first time playing it because if you if you can vision things in, on that sense better than than I as a as a hardcore gamer who's played Patrick a lot, you will. You will do better than me at patchwork, even even first game. The rules are are, are very very simple. It, it doesn't feel directly competitive because for the most part, as you move around, um, you can take a, a, a piece that someone else was looking at or person was looking at or wanting, but you can't you can't really do anything directly to harm them or hurt them. So it, it doesn't have a, a lot of that 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 direct aggression that people uh, who are not into games, especially if you're if you have a a partner who's not into games may, uh, may be concerned about that, that potential uh, relational impact of, of playing a game together. Definitely with any game you're playing with anybody, but especially with a partner, you want to be very careful that if you if you are winning and are dominating, you are, are polite and nice and, and not lording it over them. But I think patchwork is definitely a game that is is objectively uh, the right choice to play with a, a partner who's not into gaming because I totally understand what objective means, and I'm not using that term incorrectly. Oh no. It's I mean, the game literally is- objective, okay?
0: <laughs> no, but like, as a as a person who has a billion hobbies, I think I've mentioned this. Especially if your spouse is a crafty person, yes, this game is really going to appeal to them because it's like got it's got buttons, it's got thimbles, it's got fun Have little this, aspects to it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't so, know you play it.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's 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 a really fun one. I I would okay. i retract my fog of love it's not the game to start with it would yeah i think patchwork is a good pick it's
2: it's as cute as a button as some would say
1: yes it is oh
0: my gosh uh, no
2: uh, don't worry i'll follow that up with something way less cringe um so (laughs) let's go on the opposite end of the spectrum let's talk about monsters all right so my uh this is kind of in a similar vein. Like, if you like if you like more of, like, a puzzly sort of game. Now, obviously, strategy, you can kind of contort that to be puzzly. But I'm talking about, like, actual puzzle here. Mm-hmm. Um, Cryptid is really unique. I love Cryptid so much because this is also in that same vein. If you don't want people to be at each other's throats, you know, battling each other and, you know, having to worry about the repercussions of your significant other being mad at you, this game won't do that. All right? Uh Now, Cryptid is a game where basically there's a monster out in this giant field of hexes hidden somewhere in there, and you have to find him. And the only way you can find him is by figuring out everyone else's clue about uh, where he is. So every Hmm. single person starts with a clue. And basically, you're allowed to on your turn. You just go around uh, clockwise order. Just each person gets to make a guess. You can either ask someone about a spot and ask, hey, person, is this potential spot a possible location? And based on their rule that they know about, they have to mark on the map with just a a circle or or a cube whether or not that monster is allowed to be there. So as you kind of work your way through, everybody's looking about where you put it, and there's different land types, and there's different landmarks, and these rules or, or these clues all kind of relate to different components that are out on the board and so it's just a giant puzzle that everyone's racing to figure out first and trying to figure out what other people's clues are and it is so exciting because there's nothing more interesting than someone you think you have someone's clue figured out someone else asks that person about a spot and then they put that little cube that says nope that's not possible and you're like
0: oh just you're like what the fuck like how is this possible it just rocks your world. It just you don't rocks even... it.
2: And, and so just like, it's a race for people to figure it out. And then you can also, it, it's, you're trying to hide as much information as you can. And so the, at the beginning of the game, everybody has to put out a few spots as no's. So this way you can kind of get the gears churning a little bit. And that that part is the most fun. You're just trying to figure out like, where can I put my cubes to make it as bewildering as possible as to like what my clue is? And so that that's half the fun is just obscuring your own clue while also like messing with other people's and also asking hints of people to where they give away as little information as possible about their own clue while giving you information about the clue. So there's that fun game of just like asking the right spots is everything. And it is so fun, um, especially when people start getting close and you you instead of rather than asking people for a clue, you ask or you, you basically go, I'm guessing here. And then everybody then has to put their their disc or cube out saying that, you know, yes or no, the spot is possible. And just that right there can give away so much information. And if, and if you guessed wrong, the next person might be able to guess it. So there's just that tease of just like, when do I guess? And yeah. it's just, it's so disarming from the fact that nobody is really like, you're not harming anybody else when you do things. Everybody's just putting more information out on the board. And yeah. it's, it's, it's exciting. There's that buildup of when someone guesses and then that no comes out and you're just like, Oh, 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 I know where it is now. And you're just, you're dying as it has to go all the way around the table waiting for you to get your
1: guess. Yeah. Um, I had forgotten playing cryptid and uh, you have thoroughly convinced me that I want to play cryptid again sometime soon, because like it is, it is a lot of fun. And I, I, as you were talking about, I remember playing it and it is, it's a logic puzzle. It is a, a, Game with you know, like I said a fairly indirect uh, ability to to cause harm to other players, but it is it is a really fun challenge to uh, to be figuring that out. And speaking
0: of games that spouses are good at, Tim's wife Alicia is amazing at that game. <laughs> she
2: she wins a lot. She's
0: really um, good.
2: But yeah, I think a big thing when you, I kind of want to take a step back a little bit now for a second. Okay. Now that we've kind of discussed a few games, I think some important things about a uh, a starter game is maybe the fact that you're not directly harming other players so that nobody's kind of getting in the way of each other i think that that can be kind of big especially if you're not sure if people like that are going to be bothered by that mechanic of actively getting in the way of people that that can be a safe bet and also i like games that are kind of maybe out of the box a little bit like they're not they're not what you would typically think of a game i think that that kind of can disarm people when it's not just like this strategic fest of just like you need to understand all these mechanics it can be something that's just like kind of totally unique and another one that fits into that is chronicles of crime that's another one that that one can be a bit more hit or miss for people but it you can't say it's not unique like it, it definitely adds its own spin of just you play this game by pulling your phone out and you scan QR codes and that allows you to like basically interrogate people and you can ask them about any of these items that you found uh, in terms of, you're basically trying to solve a crime and it means you need to go around, talk to people, visit places, ask people about other people. Think about like, uh, you know, it's just this huge crime that unfolds and it's just, you can finally live your fantasy of your Netflix TV series of just solving a murder. It's, it's great.
0: With none of the ethical concerns about being entertained by someone's downfall.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. You can finally enjoy your murder porn in a safe environment, okay? Aww. Yeah, exactly.
0: And the art in that game is really cool, too. Oh, the art's too. beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah it's great. It's yeah, gorgeous.
0: It's,
2: it's pretty well done. And just, it's just so unique. And they, they've come out with a lot of different flavors of it that I haven't had the chance to try yet. But there's probably something for, every, so, something for everyone in terms of what version that you buy. But... That's another one that just you kind of catch people off guard when you say, oh, yeah, you use your phone to, like, look around at the crime scene and pick out things that you found in it. And it gets people excited, especially when you pull out the cheesy gimmicky glasses. Also brings, Oh,
0: my gosh. Yes. That
2: brings people on board. And so it's just little things like that. And also to Ken's point about, like, little foam guns in in Cashing Guns. Like, the little gimmicks, like, they work. And then you can graduate to, like, non-gimmicky stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, as a gimmick and as a game, I know that bought after playing it at my house. Uh, Sarah, do you want to explain why uh, Railroad Inc. is a perfect game?
0: (laughs) Uh, okay, so I'm totally prepared for this one, except for the fact that I'm terrible at explaining things. But Railroad Inc. is basically a grid, but there you're basically rolling dice that give you roads and railway, railways. (laughs) And nine you nine. Have, <laughs> It's nine by nine. Okay. And there are like three exits on each side of the board. And you're trying to connect as many exits as possible. There's lots of different ways to get points, like the longest stretch. And everybody's basically got their own board. So you're filling it in with a little dry erase marker. Which means that there are plenty of ways, if you're ADHD like me, to like doodle in the side or like do lines or not do lines. You know, you've got like some autonomy there. But everybody's using the same dice rolls to fill in their boards to create this map that's going to connect their roads and their railways. And it's just, it's quick. It's fun. There's a tactile element to it. There's an artistic element to it because you're drawing, but you don't have to be good at drawing to do it. It's it's fun. It keeps you engaged, and I'm addicted to it. So, and you can play it by yourself. You can play it on a plane mm-hmm. with your with someone. If you're traveling somewhere, you just get, keep the little box and roll the dice into the box, and you've each got your little cards.
2: It's small, easy to it's bring somewhere.
0: Very portable. Yeah, probably on the level of skull. Skulls maybe yep. more more portable than railroading. Oh, but I feel like we need a
2: po- We need a podcast episode about like travel travelability of board games and which ones are like easy to bring and still have substance to them because railroad ink would go would go in that in that podcast easily yep
0: oh yeah
1: I definitely toss that to Sarah because not only bought it after playing at my house, but then proceeded to. How many times have you played the game alone, uh, just sitting and watching TV in the evenings? Uh, since, oh my uh, gosh!
0: <laughs> so, and I, I send Ken pictures of my boards when I when I'm that, proud of what I've done. That is <laughs> yep.
2: adorable. I like it. I like and it.
0: he tells me like, oh yeah, I can see you did this and this. So it's 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 a fun one. I mean, it's even you know. fun
2: from the angle of, like, everybody literally starts from the same spot and has the same dice, and everyone's board's going to be uh, totally different from one another. I think that's kind oh, of yeah. cool in and of itself. Like,
0: Very cool. I mean, it's a quick one to even play, like, if you're playing multiple board games with a group in the same night while, while someone's setting it's up a, a wind... new game. You yeah, it's a good play... wind-up
2: or wind-down game. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: If you're looking for something to play, you know, between when you told people to get there and when they actually get there, you know, it's something that you can play pretty Mm -hmm. quickly with just a few people. So that's, that's a good one.
1: I definitely love that. I mean, there are only a handful of rules to explain. Again, it's a a five minute rules explanation. It is uh, artifacts of of the the, the play cards and things that are, that are beautiful and, and exciting and evocative. You're, you're really not I mean, you're you're directly competing against each other in the sense of everyone is trying to get the highest score, but you're also just trying to get the highest score based on the, the prompts that the game gave you with the die rolls. And so thing you're doing is interactive in any way to be able to cause harm or benefit to any other player. You're just all doing a a different thing Mm -hmm. and again with with die rolling i typically will let the new players uh just roll the dice for all uh, rounds of it because they get to have the fun of rolling in the dice and it doesn't really matter who rolls the dice so
0: until you're at the end and everybody needs one thing to complete (laughs) it and then you don't want to be the one that rolls because you don't want to (laughs) disappoint people
1: (laughs) i think it's an easy one
2: also where you just you just don't give a shit about anybody's score except yourself like exactly. you, you're just like, Oh man, I know I've gotten like this score before. I want to get higher than that. You know, like exactly. it's one of those things. You're just like, you're just kind of playing with people. Like it's kind of like just an activity with everyone else. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it sounds like I'm saying that as like a negative, but I think it's actually a positive. Like no, I, I
0: I think it's a positive too. And then if you are a person that's really competitive, you can get a score and then Ken tells you that his normal score is 20 points higher than the score you got. And then you get obsessed with the game yeah, until like, oh, you can beat Ken's. I'll, I'll show him. Score.
1: <laughs> Definitely. It's a great game. Good, good, good game with a, with a romantic partner. You just do it two player. Great game to play by yourself. Great game to pull out and have people over for house party or something and just quick round and put away again after that and people can go back to talking. It's uh, very, very flexible and, and, yeah, i mean if you want to buy two copies of it you can play with 12 people at once and just roll the dice and everybody has to see what the dice are i've done that just put the dice at the coffee table and everyone just marks on their card what was rolled and everyone we, I've, I've played with with very large groups of people just sitting around the room and because it's a, it's a puzzle thing on that it's you know everybody can just mark their thing down and go back to conversing with the person next to them until the next die roll happens and so we'll just you know do a die roll every couple minutes and it's at that point it's a slow game with lots of downtime, but if the person sitting next to you isn't currently trying to figure out their move, or even if they are, you just you can just chat and have fun. So, you know, great intro game, great party game.
0: Yeah, so I think we've covered a lot of really awesome starter games, minus maybe Fog of Love. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't think fog of love is a, is a bad starter game. It just, I think specifically for the question of, of doing it with a romantic partner, it's, it definitely has some caveats that you, you definitely need to be comfortable with the possibility that you guys will be role-playing relational dynamics that you would not want to do in your actual relationship. And so it it can be, it can be tricky in that sense, but it's, it's a great game for people who don't normally play games. Like you, you are, you are role playing a romantic comedy or tragedy and that is definitely something that people who don't like to play games can definitely get pulled in with so yeah. i don't i don't see that as a is a bad game for intro just big caveat if you want to do it with a romantic partner careful on that one
0: so yeah we've we've covered some great options for starter games and i think one of the main themes that we've come up with for what makes a, a good game a good starter game is the play style like what the person is interested in being thematically mm-hmm. something that's going to be interesting and they're going to engage with and i think next time we're going to be talking a little bit more about that diving in a little bit deeper into how to become a a board game sommelier reading the Ooh. people around you what's their what's their preferred play style what do they like and matching them with a game that they're going to really enjoy when they're when they're playing with you So I I think that's going to be a really great conversation.
2: Yeah, I I think that that was also kind of my approach to begin with, even with picking these, right? Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it's important, even with like a starter collection. This is why this is what happens to us board game people, okay? That we just we know there's different tastes out there, and so I Mm -hmm. want to have something like that I can cover all bases with, where. Right. I know the person and then I've got this selection of intro games that I know that I could tap into whatever I think is kind of their flavor so that mm-hmm. that's also why I had a two-player one that's why I had more puzzly sort of thing so it, it, I think it's important to kind of have a large spread and we'll kind of talk about mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit more next time but
0: all, all right sweet. see you then
2: Thanks guys mm-hmm.